we can uh, send children and teachers and all off to the uh, room next door for their various rooms, I guess, uh, in the space behind me, if there are any today, now would be the time. So this morning I'm kind of excited. <laughs> we get to launch a new series, and the series is about that line. It was inspired, in fact, by that song, When I Come to Die. And we will be approaching um, all the way through the Lenten season, the rest of what remains of the Lenten season, uh, through Easter with this central theme, When I Come to Die, Just Give Me Jesus. So do you, do you remember, uh, I know I'm the oldest guy in the room, probably, just about, if not the oldest. And I, uh, I was surprised to learn that my wife did not remember this. But when I was a kid, back, you know, growing up, a little child, backseat of a 1953 Buick, we're off across the country, God knows where, looking for something to take my mind uh, off just the incredible crush of boredom. Are we almost there? Are we there yet? I have to go potty. I'm serious. We got to do something, man. We got my brother Herb. Uh, you know, he had a huge advantage on me. He's three years older than me, and he had the gift of reading in a moving vehicle without getting sick. That's a special gift. I do not have it. I read like one sentence, and I need to like roll down the windows, stop for a minute. I just became extremely nauseous. I can't really do it. It's much to be desired, but it has always really escaped me. Um, so we would look forward to things. And one of the things we look forward to, just to anticipate, you know, you have to have anticipation in the car, just like you do, I know, sitting there. Uh, <laughs> namely, the end of my remarks. But that will come as well. Burma shave. Do you guys remember Burma shave signs on the side of the road? Pat had no memory of these. So, okay, so I think that's a Wisconsin thing. Okay, that's, that's sort of what I'm going to conclude from that. Burma shave. And, 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 you know, if you don't know what they're like, it's like every quarter mile or something, it's a line to a poem, a short little poem, in the end of which it would be Burma Shave. And we as a family would read those signs out loud, and then we would say, Burma Shave, and then everyone would laugh. Yuck, 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 yuck. I'll give you a few examples here. Uh, I'm getting input from the sound booth. I must adjust my mic. Get it out of your beard. I think is possibly what they're saying. Is that better? Okay. Now, these, of course, are in reverse order, starting from the top. Okay. Her chariot raced 80 per. They hauled away what had been her. It's a pun, you see. Ben Hur was the film. It had just come out in the 50s. You see this kind of stuff every quarter mile until you come to the punchline. Here's another one. A man, a miss, a car. Why don't you read it with me? We're a family. We're all in the car. We finally have a moment of something to focus on. A man, a miss, a car, a curve. He kissed the miss and missed the curve. Then you have to say, Burma shave. <laughs> okay, a couple more for you. This time, let's go from the right to the left. Within this veil of toil and sin, your head grows bald, but not your chin. Burma shave. So again, it's in the old days, and we're rolling down this gravel road somewhere, off to somewhere, I know not where. If you think she likes your bristles, walk barefooted through some thistles. Burma shave. Okay. 
Um, and here's the last one, thankfully. Don't pass cars on curve or hill. If the cops don't get you, morticians will. Burma shape. So you see, the, these are utilitarian, they're safety-oriented messages. And then every once in a while, out of the blue, and seriously, this is so anti, uh, I guess, contemporary culture, because it took me like, it might have taken me at least an hour to find an example of this next sign, which it seems to me in my childhood that they were everywhere. They'd be actually at least as many of these as there were the, the Burma shave signs along the road. And, and it's that one, prepare to meet thy God. We'd run across something like that. And then everything, nobody read that out loud. <laughs> nobody chuckled. Uh, it just landed on me. You know, I'm a little boy. What does this mean? Prepare to meet thy God. It sounds very ominous, doesn't it? And suddenly the question of mortality is raised. The question of mortality. And, and consciousness and awareness of our own mortality is a good thing, according to wisdom okay, of the ages. Being aware of our own mortality is a helpful thing from a spiritual point of view. It's important to prepare for our death. 7,000 people per day die in the U.S., Hundreds, more than a hundred died just in a, suddenly, like in a car accident or something. Of course, millions die annually. Prepare to meet thy God. It's a wise thing uh, to be ready, so we need this focus on mortality. It's sort of like Ash Wednesday. I don't know how many of you have ever had that. We've never done it here. But I've had it done to me before, you know, at the hospital or whatever, in the chapel. <laughs> and, and you walk up to the, you know, the minister, whoever it might be, a deacon or a priest or something like that, or a, a pastor of some sort, and he'll take his, or she will take their thumb, put it down into the ashes, and boom, boom. And here's what they say. You came from ashes, and you will return to ashes. Something like that. From ashes you have come, to ashes you shall return. Sign of the cross, thumb. Ashes. And I'm going to do that on you right now. I want you to be aware of your mortality. You came from, you came from dust. That's it, not from ashes. You came from dust, and to dust you shall return. That's more biblical. That's actually true. We came from dust. Adam, the first man, made from the dust of the earth. And to dust you will, I will return. So mortality really enhances focus on very important spiritual realities. And those spiritual realities are exactly, those spiritual things are the things that we're going to focus on for the next four weeks as we cruise through this series. Now, it sounds rather, what? Uh, it's not about death. It's about life, let me just say. To be prepared well for death is to be prepared to, to live an awesome life. And that's absolutely the case. I remember maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there was a film, a Spielberg film, so beautifully done, and one of my favorite films, and I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for sentimentality, especially as involving old men, and, and, <laughs> and the film was Saving Private Ryan, I don't know if you remember that film, but I, re I remember a couple of these scenes. What happened is, is there's, a, there's a guy, well, really there's a mother, the focus is on this mother. She's out somewhere in the heartland. I don't know, down in Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska, somewhere. And she has given four of her sons to the war. 
four of her sons to the war. And she has one more son left. And he's somewhere at risk out there uh, on the battlefield in Europe, but nobody knows exactly where. So someone in the War Department in Washington, D.C. sees this statistic that there is a woman somewhere in Iowa on a farm who's given four sons out of five to the war. I'm not going to let her give her fifth son. That was an administrative decision that was made somewhere on high in, in, in the uh, government of the United States. And so down through the ranks came this deal. Go find this guy and get him out of there. Send him home to his mom. She's given enough. So there's kind of a random uh, process by which there's a particular platoon that is chosen, and it has a captain, this guy, played by Tom Hanks, beautifully in the film, by the way. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan, just an awesome uh, film. They get behind the lines. They go everywhere. They're traipsing all through Europe and all. And finally, at the very end of this young man's deliverance, okay, a great price is paid. They're in a firefight somewhere, uh, protecting a bridge or destroying a bridge. I can't remember exactly. And, and, but it's, it's really some serious warfare going down old school. And people are getting shot and people are getting killed. And one of them, of course, that has been mortally wounded is this captain who's the head of the platoon, right? that has been dispatched to go and get Private Ryan and save him. Tom Hanks is playing, and so it's this scene. And the, and the gravitas, the seriousness of it, the poignancy of it, the beautiful intensity of this is filmed so wonderfully by these very skillful actors and this crew in this direction. Dude, this genius. And you really feel it. Okay, you really feel it as Tom Hanks grabs Ryan as the captain. He grabs Ryan. That's Matt Damon. And he says, Ryan, earn this. It's a very short message, two words. But man, do you feel that? You see what's being given. You see the sacrifices being made, not just the captain, but others in this platoon. You see what's happening here, son. Earn this. Then we cut off to this scene, okay, and uh, 40 years later, plus, and here's an old man, and he's wandering through all of these grave markers somewhere in a field in France. And it is a veritable sea of graves. American boys who laid down their lives to save the world from this evil. And he's walking through and he's, he's got some notes and he's trying to find and finally his eyes settle and here's, here's the, the grave of the man who led the men who came, that saved him, that sent him home, so that his mom would suffer no further loss. He kneels down by the grave. He's overcome by emotion. This is one of my favorite scenes in all of film. I can barely relate it without, you know, crying. It, it, uh, so forgive me. I'm not going to lose it. I could, I could lose it here, <laughs> but I'm not going to. 
He is overcome by emotion. He weeps. The old man weeps as he, as he kneels by this cross. His wife, his faithful partner through life, she comes over. She takes him by the shoulders as if to give comfort. His children and grandchildren are in the background of the shot. And with tears streaming down his face, he says to his wife, tell me, his memory, in his memory lived that charge that he received from his captain. Tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. There in a cemetery, what better place? There's a consciousness of his own mortality as well as the mortality of all of those who died in that, in that war. He can, I'm sure, feel it in his bones. I came from dust, and to dust I will return. And it's in that consciousness of mortality, which is really the essence of the Lenten season, and, uh, and good for our soul to contemplate before we come to the celebration of God's victory over death and the grave, accomplished in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But before we get there, we have to take note of a few things. Because in the light of this awareness or consciousness of mortality, and I get this from an author, uh, and my own experience, I used to be a hospice chaplain. I, I, I have been at the bedside of many dying folk, and I've seen many families processing these kinds of things. When I come to die moments, and they're really happening, I, I had two such uh, encounters with grieving families within the last few days. But there's a guy that knows a whole lot more about this stuff than I do. This is his profession. He's an, he's an, uh, an MD who specializes in palliative care and hospice kinds of things, and he's been with thousands and thousands of such families. And it is his uh, uh, observation, it's his, in his wisdom, and he, he, he did not originate these things. It's a given, really, among those that work in the field of, 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 field of bereavement, of grief, and end of life, and palliative care, hospice, and all those kinds of things, that there are certain things that always rise to the top in the light of our mortality in these important moments, okay? Um, and, here, and here they are. Uh, these are things that need to be said. And if you're working with folks or whatever who are in this place, or if you're in a family, and I'm so glad, for example, I got recently uh, the opportunity to go down and see my sister before she passed. She, unfortunately, was already well on, on the road in dementia. By the way, uh, millions of folks in the U.S., I mean, are in the process of entering into various levels of dementia. Um, and that's why this, this, is, this is crucial that we get a hold of this stuff for the sake of our own soul. These things have generational import. And these are things that need to be said uh, to one another. And, uh, and, and, and these are the things, and there are four of them, and, and I'm going to show them to you really in quick succession here. 
and, and the power of these things by those, I mean, observed by those who, again, work in this field all the time. It's just, just amazing the kind of relief, the kind of deliverance, the kind of freedom from horrible emotional, like, grievance and all these kinds of things that capture people's, their mind, their heart, a, a lack of nurture and support, child grows up, what have you, all kinds of crazy stuff. There isn't any of this stuff that he really needs. Uh, and so forth, and here's this, maybe it's a dying parent, what have you. These things have to be said. People need to talk to each other about these things. And really, you need to do this, and you need to do it today. Because if you're looking for <laughs> an important moment, today is the only moment you've got. So why don't you use it? And here, here are these things that really have power to change families, to change your life, to change your future, to change the, the future of your own children. Please forgive me, I've screwed up. I forgive you. Thank you. It's not complicated, this ain't rocket science. And the last thing is I love you. So we're gonna work through these things between now and Easter. And on Easter morning, the final thing is to learn how to say goodbye. Now this is my way of saying goodbye. I'm going to be fine. I want my family to know. And Easter is the reason. So this is this, this kind of morbid trail that we're on. <laughs> but it's deep wisdom for how to really live a good life in relationship with God and in relationship with people who matter to you. And... Uh, so here we go. So today, uh, I get to start this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually deal with this whole subject of forgiveness. I'm watching the clock. There's so much I could say about this. It's, it's, the, it's the overwhelming quantity, really, of the data on the importance of forgiveness in the Bible that can be uh, just uh, overwhelming. Let me just take a moment before we dive in a little bit and look at it, only a couple of scriptures. What is forgiveness, really? Well, it turns out that in the Bible there are six words, two in the Old Testament, four in the New Testament. Seems like a lot, really. That can be overwhelming in itself. Six different words, two in Hebrew, four in Greek, that are translated forgive, to forgive, or forgiveness. Okay. And they're all getting at the same kind of stuff, but each one contributes a certain flavor, a certain distinctive contribution to the fullness of our understanding of what forgiveness is comes from each one of these words. One of them is the one that Mike pointed to um, last Sunday when he ended with that uh, beautiful reference, okay, to that beautiful and unbelievably good news passage from Hosea, which is kind of a downer. It's like this whole series, again, another downer, but like an amazing conclusion in Micah 7, verses 17 and 18. And that's the one that ends that verse 18 said, you will take our sins and you will cast them into the deepest ocean. But the, the really liberating and powerful, wonderful thing about it is like, who is like our God? What kind, of a, what kind of a God? What people are so blessed to have a God like our God? Because it's right directly connected to his nature. It's who he is. He delights in forgiving. 
And, and that is a word that, that absolutely means to send away, to take away, to dismiss. There's another Old Testament word that's used, for example, in Isaiah 55, where people are, are all of us, all of us are encouraged to, like, repent, return to the Lord. And the Lord, who is abundant in mercy, and because he loves chesed, chesed, my mouth's kind of dry, I can't do chesed today. He loves chesed, he loves mercy. And he will pardon all those who return to him. And that's that other word, that other Hebrew word. Divine pardon. It's not used really in horizontal relationships, but only of God granting a pardon to those that come to him through repentance, a change of heart, faith in the finished work of his son, Jesus. That's when we find pardon. And that becomes absolutely the foundation of our ability to ask for and receive forgiveness from others is our, our, our relationship with God when that's straight and somehow it makes sense and it's easier to do this. But it's never really easy to say, please forgive me. Hardly anyone ever does this. You know that's true. Why do people resist doing this? Well, there's a couple of reasons that I think of that are, are possible. Uh, let's consider a story that Jesus told he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I, I, I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. These adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. And then the tax collector, he was standing far off. He didn't push himself up into the middle. He didn't really, I suppose, even want to be heard. It's clear that he's talking to God. He's not talking to those that are listening to him pray. He's praying. He's talking to God. But he, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Lord have mercy. One of my favorite parts of a liturgical service is when people start singing or saying, Lord have mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord. I'm a sinner. I am in need of forgiveness. I tell you, this man went down to his house. That's all he said. Justified. That is, he was put in a right relationship with God. Simply having prayed that prayer because he had sense enough. And this is true humility, right? To see yourself for who you really are in the light of who God is. God is holy. I'm not. I see what the reality is. I see the moral conditions that I've created in my own ecosphere relationally. I've, I see the stuff that I've done. I'm conscious of my own wrongdoing. Therefore, I quickly bow before Almighty God and cry out for mercy. And, and maybe that's one reason why not very many people find it Um, propitious, shall we say, <laughs> or like uh, find the right time or the moment uh, to ask for forgiveness. And maybe it's because we are kind of like the Pharisee and we do see ourselves as morally superior to others. And we are trusting a bit in our own status, 
morally, spiritually, religiously, what have you. The Pharisee, obviously, is the quintessential spirit, uh, religious man. Here's another snippet. There are so many, I mean, all over God's word. But here's a beautiful summary of the status that we are in by the grace of God through Christ. For his name's sake. 1 John 2 and verse 12. It's in that poem. might be a song. I am writing to you, little children, 1 John 2. Because your sins are forgiven. That's one of those, yeah, Greek language tenses called the perfect tense. English has them too. It refers to actions that have happened in the past but have continuing effect up to and including this very moment. Our sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. And that is the status of every child of God who has come to the Lord and cried out for mercy and for grace. Based on the work of Jesus, God is able because he loves to do so and he loves chesed and he made the provision and Jesus made the provision and you cannot earn it. That captain, okay, was not preaching the gospel when he said to Private Ryan, earn it. That's not the gospel. That is more like a kind of religious, you know, dedication to acting out uh, what we assume might be in accordance with the best moral practices that we can muster by the dint of our own will. And no wonder people are exhausted emotionally and so forth. But here we receive a gift. This is something that has happened, that has been provided, that can never be earned. And it's ours through faith in Jesus Christ and in no other way. Therefore, our hearts should be prepared to be able to go to others, conscious of our wrongdoing, the way others have been harmed or implicated by our wrongdoing and not theirs. I screwed up. I have screwed up in every possible way known to humanity. Almost. No, I mean, not like you guys. <laughs> we all have our own unique history, right? I guess I can't really claim any kind of superiority, not even any superiority that might be inferred from my open confession that I'm the worst of all sinners. No, there's always one worse. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> can never win. Sort of like Scott, we were in a restaurant the other day and we were having this competition. He, who, who navigated his order better than the other guy. We had similar things, but not exact things. So he wanted to know, well, how much did you get charged? Well, let me look at your check, okay? It's a bit of a competition here. And he said, I should have done as you did. Uh, you got a better deal than I did. And I said, well, Scott, you can just sit in the back seat and think about that all the way home. Because <laughs> I win. Well, then he went back to work and he thought, well, wait a minute now, if you take this into consideration, because he got coleslaw, in his bag to go home with. <laughs> I think I won after all. And I said, well, if it makes you feel any better, if you have to win, okay, I'll give it to you, man. It's cool. But we compete in all kinds of crazy ways and we compare ourselves to others. But when it comes to this stuff, we've all, we all have our, sto our, our stories. Yeah. And I have really screwed up. And there are people that are very close to me, including my wife, my children, my grandchildren, to whom it would be and is. Uh, I mean, 
very appropriate for me to say, please forgive me. And at the end, of course, we all have these fantasies. And I see these families gathered at the bedside of dying folks and whatnot, you know. I hope I have no hesitancy whatsoever. I'm sure I will have screwed up recently, whatever <laughs> place that that might land in the future. Please forgive me. So what am I asking them to do? I'm asking them, yes, to send my guilt away, to release me. In the New Testament, you get these ideas. Set that person free. Let go. Let go of your need as someone who has been offended, your need to be satisfied, as it were, through some kind of recompense, maybe revenge even. The demand that justice be done, okay? And you carry that with you, that need to be satisfied. You want that person to suffer. I mean, people that have harmed us deeply and so forth, if we're honest, I mean, that's there. But that's what we're asking for victims to do. Release. Let go. Set free. Remit. Cancel the debt. It isn't saying anything about the thing that was done. It isn't saying that the wrongdoing wasn't wrong. It isn't saying that your pain through the years, through the decades, is immaterial, that it isn't real. Forgiveness does not address itself when granted to any quality of the act itself, the, the, the slight, the abuse, whatever it might be. But it's a decision that we all can make ultimately to set that person free from their guilt. And as I'll show you in a moment, that stuff really helps, not the perpetrator, but the victim. When we can let it go, wow, what a difference in our own quality of life and in the quality of the lives, the lives of those around us. So, please forgive me. I forgive you. That's the other thing. Here's the deal. When we have been forgiven, it is a natural flow of life and, and it is an expectation for us whose hearts have been softened, softened by the grace of God by having received the forgiveness that we do not deserve for all the crazy stuff that we've done and all the pain that we've caused others in our lives. Be kind to one another. This sums up a beautiful passage about relationships within the body of Christ, and I have to hurry. In Ephesians, it's the end of the chapter, but the whole chapter is so beautiful. Choose, choose well. Choose to be kind. Choose to be tender-hearted. Choose to, and this is one of those particular words for forgiveness that's used in the New Testament that really got me digging. It's a word that expresses the, the, uh, the freedom of the act of forgiving. That it is, in fact, undeserved. The root of this word is the word for grace which is unmerited favor. The person, it is assumed, who, who offended you does not deserve to be forgiven. But you forgive them anyway. A free choice to begrace them 
You could really literally translate this word. Endow them with grace, unmerited favor, and let it come from you and from your own heart to set them free from your need to see them suffer for the things that they did to you. Set them free from the guilt that they're obviously carrying and the shame that's attached to the wrongdoing. This stuff gets real, man, in hospital rooms or around the beds of dying folk or even anywhere in any living room. It's real. Relationships are broken. Families are torn apart. There is wrongdoing. What do we do? Well, we forgive, and when we come to die, that as it will, will, will I'm, I mean, it will come to the surface of your consciousness. I remember my dad. He was a, a complicated man. We had a complicated relationship. In the end, we worked it out, and we both found forgiveness in Jesus, and we forgave each other. I had much more to forgive. I mean, excuse me, I, I, I was more guilty than he was. I said that exactly the opposite of what is true. He had more to forgive than me, certainly. I asked for his forgiveness. It was freely given. We went into a warm and wonderful uh, kind of closeness that we, I'd never experienced with him as a child. So I was in my 30s and 40s and had great fellowship together, both of us as children of God, both of us benefiting from the forgiveness of God through Jesus and his sacrifice in our place and so forth. When he was dying, this was in 1987, so I guess I, I would have been uh, 41. And he was in hospice. He had a, a virulent, uh, aggressive form of cancer. And he was, uh, he was in a lot of pain and so forth. And he was in a hospice program and whatnot. We lived in Iowa at the time where I was pastoring. And I came up to see my dad more than once. But anyway, before he passed, I happened to have the privilege of being in the room when he died. Um, and he was the first person I ever saw actually, actually pass into eternity. But... In his pain, of course, they're giving him meds and whatnot, and that's, that's a part of the story, certainly. Uh, but his conscience was so tender. Uh, he would start to remember things as we talked and shared, and he'd be so quick, say, please forgive me. I, I can't I can't believe that I did that. Well, of course I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. Not at all. Not at all. Please. And we were able to say all of these things in this list of four things. Please forgive me. We said it to each other. I do forgive you. Thank you for everything that you've done for me. I love you.
And it wasn't just his, his, his conscience about things that he may have done to me or to any of us kids, and a bunch of us were around, but other people, young people. One of the suitors of one of my sisters, I have four sisters, who was in the youth group at Oliver Presbyterian Church, had uh, maybe been somewhat aggressive or kept my sister Kathy out a little bit past that. Uh, listen, there was a time certain you will have her home. Mr. Nyan Heiss, Mr. Jerry Nyan I remember the dude's name, dating my sister. My dad kind of lost it on him a little bit, I think. <laughs> he was a little angry. And uh, there in that house, sitting in the breakfast nook, he had us looking up every nine ice in the Twin Cities <laughs> regarding things that had happened. Like 40 years ago, this guy went on to be a cop or something in Minneapolis, and nobody had seen or heard of him. And, all those many years. But he was determined that he was going to get this guy on the phone, and he did. I'm sorry. I want to do this right. And of course, Jerry, a Christian man, was very impressed and so quick to say, of course, Harvey, I forgive you. They had a wonderful time together kind of fellowship over the phone. So since we've been forgiven, we also forgive, and we forgive freely, of course, and it's embedded into the DNA of what it is to be a, a, a child of God. It's there in the prayer, the disciples' prayer, when they said, teach us to pray, our Father. Let's pray it together. Should we stand, and then we'll be done. Let's just pray this one together. We'll get to that part. It's right in there. I'll see if I can remember it. I'm not Lutheran. So... I'll listen in case I get lost. So thank you for your attention today. Say the things that need to be said. Four things that rise to the top. Forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. I love you. Those things need to be said to our loved ones. What a difference it will make, not just for them, but for you, for your whole family, for the future, really. Generations to come until Jesus comes will be set free instead of this other stuff that lingers, confuses, and confounds the grace of God. So we need, we need God to help us through all of these things relationally. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. See you next time. Potluck Sunday. Don't forget. God bless you. It's going to be great. In two weeks, Mike will be sharing.